The following podcast contains explicit language. One definition of explicit language is stated clearly and in detail, leaving no room for confusion or doubt. That's why we use those words. Hello and welcome to episode 325 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Today on the show, uh, let's see, we had <laughs> a report from somebody who took the uh, November LSAT and had a problem with it. We, we did hear a couple of these reports from students who struggled. Um, you know, it's frustrating. We feel you, but they're going to let you retake the test for free. And, you know, it's only affecting a small portion of the users. So eh, if you're apoplectic... Um, <laughs> Take a couple deep breaths and uh, they'll probably sort you out. But anyway, that was a, an email from a listener who had a hard time. We did a logical reasoning question. Uh, turned out to be a strengthening question. We had a pearls versus turds on timing. Um, you might know from my tone of voice that I didn't really love that tip. And uh, we wrapped it up with an email from one of our demon students uh, with a bunch of questions from... Miller's book, Law School Confidential, which might help you decide whether to be a lawyer. Cool. Anything else that we talked about that, that didn't make it into my little wrap no, up there? That's, that's a good summary. Okay, cool. Uh, this show is going to air on Monday, November 22nd. That means that the January LSAT registration deadline is coming up in roughly 10 days or two weeks, uh, Wednesday, December 3rd is your decision point for whether to register for the January LSAT. I don't think you need to decide right this second. Um, but you know, roughly speaking, if your practice test scores are where you want them before December 3rd, then you might as well go ahead and register for the January LSAT. <coughs> if your practice scores are 10 points or more away, away from where you think you ought to be, then do not register for the January LSAT. Fairly simple math on that. Yeah. Uh, if you want to ask me questions about it, you can come to my January 2021 LSAT study group, which is just now starting up every Thursday, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. And uh, certainly this week, we'll be talking a lot about whether you should register for the January LSAT. Um, so come. All you need is a demon free account. Uh, come to class, make a commitment with me to study a little bit LSAT every day, and um, I'll, I'll be there to help. So ask whatever questions you like. Cool. Hey, I was going right. to say, um, Oh, yeah, I, I recently, I'm almost finished with the book Project Hail Mary. Have you heard of it? No, Project it's, Hail Mary. Okay. Project Hail Mary. It's by Andy Weir, who's the guy who wrote The Martian. Um, oh, it's, I liked that movie. Yeah, it's it's a good book. I my kids have been like obsessed with it too. They they finished listening to it on Audible. Um, the thing I like about it is it's a science fiction book. It's about something that happens in the near future, but it, he's obsessed. Andy must be obsessed with like science because although it's science fiction, he's always explaining why you know this thing will happen or this thing wouldn't happen or based on science. So it's kind of cool to just learn about science stuff if you like that kind of stuff. But anyways, I'm almost done with it. I'd recommend it. You said Project Hail Mary. Hail Mary. Yeah. Andy Weir. 
Um, Project Hail Mary, Andy Weir, and I am going to place a hold on it right now with my public library card, and that shit is going to be delivered to my local branch. Cool, man. Yeah. Thanks for the rec. Yeah. All right. Ready to get on to the show? Let's do it. Ben, the uh, November LSAT just happened, or it is happening right now as we speak. We got a bunch of emails, uh, not a bunch of emails, but we got a couple emails. I put one on our agenda for this show, and I put another one on the agenda for an LSAT Demon Daily podcast episode. Uh, that's our daily podcast, y'all. It comes out five days a week, LSAT Demon yeah. Daily. Um, anyway, this one is from Patrick. You want to uh, take a look at it? Sure. Hey, Ben and Nathan. I took the November LSAT this past Friday the 12th of November, I have a 3.94 GPA and I've been averaging in the mid to low or mid low, <laughs> mid to low 170s. Thanks to the LSAT demon. I went into this test feeling confident and ready to go. However, I had an abysmal experience while taking it. First, they outright refused to allow me to take it on my couch. I don't have any chairs, so I had to do it on the floor. I don't get it, but whatever. Not that big of a deal. That um, is so strange. I, it, it, go yeah. ahead. You seem like you were going to say well, something. Well, I, I, he, he says it's not a big deal, and I'm glad it's not a big deal. But I don't know. Sitting on the floor, especially if you have a hard floor, for an hour and a half is not comfortable. <laughs> As a 45-year-old, <laughs> I'm like, hmm, sitting cross-legged on the floor for two and a half hours. Uh, yeah, that would suck. Hmm. We've had this issue before, right? Yeah. Like a test taker in Japan mm -hmm. <laughs> where they like mm -hmm. don't have chairs really. <laughs> and she was like, huh? What do I do here? Um, yeah, you wonder what they're worried about, right? Like, uh, hmm. it, yeah, I mean, I random speculation, but it would maybe it's like they just kind of wrote a bunch of restrictions, but they didn't really mean it. Yeah. You know, they like didn't just sort of like, oh, well, you know, you need to be in your seat. I know what. And it's like in, in your chair. Mm -hmm. But they didn't <laughs> really mean in your chair. Yeah. Um, what about have we heard from anybody about standing? Are you I only have a standing desk. Am I allowed to do this? The test standing? No, we haven't heard that. That would be an interesting. Yeah. Please email help at thinking if you know. Uh, whether students are allowed to or applicants are allowed to take the LSAT standing. Uh, okay. Anyway, yeah. whatever. No big deal. Patrick moves to the floor. Then what happens? Okay. For the first two sections, I got disconnected an unreal amount of times. During RC alone, I was disconnected five times, having to wait to reconnect. During my second section, I wonder if that took away time from his test, but anyways, during my second section, I started to notice that I had a lot less time than I usually did. This happened on the first section as well, but I thought I was just bugging out. Eventually, I realized that a pop-up was coming onto, into my screen telling me I was disconnected, even though in the background, time was still ticking down. <laughs> I was devastated, by it, but decided I would finish the test and think of it merely as practice. You know, it's interesting that they're having these timer issues. Um, we the, the timing in a web browser is a challenging thing. Um, 
when we first launched the demon, we dealt with a lot of these issues. And finally, we came up with a solution that you're syncing the computer's clock to some, you know, internet clock. And when there's these gaps in connections, which always happens, that can mess up your time. So it's like, how do you, how do you tie the timer to something solid and know that it's actually legit? So this is, this is a challenging thing. It seems like maybe they're still working out some of the, the kinks in that. I don't know. Okay. Anyways, I do know it's challenging. The last two sections went super well until on the last section, Logic Games, my proctor came off mute, <laughs> all caps, and started speaking to me. He said he needed control of my mouse. We've heard that before too, so it's so bizarre. I immediately asked him to pause the test. He ignored me. I began to implore him to pause the test. He continued to ignore me. I lost about two minutes in total. It turns out he needed to check something on my laptop. Um, what? <laughs> um, oh, geez. Apoplectic? Apoplectic. Apoplectic. Thanks. I was apoplectic at this occurrence. It felt incredibly unprofessional, and I was furious. What do you think apoplectic means? Uh, it sounds like overly, like, floored, angry. <laughs> Is yeah, that... it's like... It's like explosively mad. Ex explosively mad, yeah. Yeah. Okay, it felt incredibly unprofessional, and I was furious. I wrote to LSAC, and I'm retaking on the 23rd of this month. Hmm. It's frustrating because even with those interruptions and lost time, I feel I did really well, but now I'll, now I'll never know. It sucks to feel like I did so well, but still have to retake thanks to that nonsense. <laughs> We're getting like raw emotion from Patrick's email. I think he wrote this like immediately after taking yeah. the test. He was you still apoplectic. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. I have no other purpose of writing this email rather than to bullshit and complain about LSAC. Okay. I apologize for the length of this email, but I wanted to include every horrifying detail. Thanks for listening, Patrick. Hey, I'm sorry, man. That sucks. <laughs> it's not that horrifying. It, it totally sucks, but shit happens. I mean, yeah. like the vast majority of test takers have been taking the test online successfully. Yep. The people who haven't been taking it online successfully. Yeah, it super sucks. Yeah. I, I think the only takeaway for students is to like hope for the best, but plan for the worst. When shit goes down on your official test, you're going to have to just chalk it up to, oh, well, it was a glitch. They're going to let me retake it for free. It doesn't count as one of my attempts. You know, Patrick's mad. Like, um, Patrick says it, it, I feel I did really well, but now I'll never know. It sucks to feel like I did so well, but still have to retake. It's like, Hey dude, listen, you've been averaging in the mid to low one seventies. If you're averaging in the mid to low 170s, then it's not like you need a good day. You yeah. need an adequate day. You need another yeah. one of those days. You've got a million of those in the tank, Patrick. So take it again. <laughs> you're allowed multiple shots at it. This isn't even going to count as one of your attempts or cost you $200. I mean, it does cost you half a day. And yeah. you might have to go buy a chair <laughs> or borrow a chair. But... um you know, uh, yeah, <laughs> shit we, happens and this will be behind, this will be in your rear view mirror 
he, he's taking it again in a week from now. So yeah, I mean like nine days later, this is all over for Patrick. So it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And we've heard worse, right? We've heard where problems have happened and LSAC has said, sorry, um, you want to sign up for the test again? We're not going to refund you. We're not going to let you take it again. Or really? yeah, you can take it again, but you're not going to take it for a while. I think it's, oh, yeah, it's, it's less frequent now. I think they've tried harder to be more accommodating, but we've definitely had worse situations where they've just not taken responsibility for whatever happened. Yeah. So, Hey, think about it. We got tens of thousands of people taking this test, right? Mm-hmm. So if 1% of those result in problems, you're still looking at hundreds of individuals who are affected and, um, yeah, I mean, that's a great success rate. And you're also dealing with so many different devices. Um, I mean, I'm not trying to be too sympathetic here. I'm just saying it's, it's not easy to necessarily pull this off. Yeah. No development is hard, obviously. And, um, I would encourage Patrick and others though, to, to like, if you can try to take some of the emotion out of this, you know, it, it's just another practice test. Mm-hmm. Like, why are you so offended that this didn't go down the way you wanted it to go down? If it's just another practice test, then it's just another practice test and you can always take it again. So, you know, I, I just, I think we need to focus on the upside instead of focusing on the downsides. And and here there really isn't much of a downside anyway. Like it's a frustrating waste of time, but other than it being a frustrating waste of time, um, it does not affect Patrick's record at all. There are going to be way, way worse indignities down the line. I promise you that (laughs) in law school, there are, far worse indignities coming for you and yeah and you know in your practice like these yeah. things this was probably not you know intended no of course <laughs> but you're not. going to encounter intentional you mm. know road blocking yeah wait till you have an <laughs> someone who is actually opposing you yeah lsac is not opposing you lsac wants you to be a satisfied customer and move on mm-hmm. they don't they're not trying to get in your way i promise so yeah it's a fuck up sure but it's a fuck up that's affecting a small fraction of the people who are taking the test and um i'm sure patrick on a retake you're not going to have any of these problems except if you do you know whatever then my advice would be the same just move on and try again try eventually again. you're gonna get there yep okay Thanks, Patrick. Yeah. Logical reasoning time. Let's do some LSAT. Cool, man. Oh, okay. So I'm reading. This is test 73, section 2, question 22. It's a logical reasoning question. Give it to me. It says, because the native salmon in Lake Clearwater had nearly disappeared, sockeye salmon were introduced in 1940. Okay. I'm a adult, modern person. I've been living in the world for a certain amount of time. This sounds like a real bad idea to me, just knowing what I know about the world. I'm not required to shut off what I know about the world, right? I know that introducing non-native species (laughs) into some lake could very likely have damaging 
consequences for the ecosystem. So I read that, I note it, and I go, boy, I wonder what happened after they did that. Probably something bad. Probably something bad. You know, it's okay. funny. Whenever I think about this, um, there was a book I read like 20 years ago, and the whole point of the book was, hey, look, everything is non-native to wherever it is. It came from somewhere. It it in it, succe- it succeeded, and really, when you're bringing in these non-native things, or if they encroach, um, they're just continuing something that's been going on for sure. a long time. Right. As long as you take a million year view, then that's fine. Right. Cause yeah, like, well, that's, that was kind of the view. And it's like, basically when people cry about native or non-native stuff, they're really saying, Hey, I don't want things to change the right, way they but, were. Yeah. And but usually the way humans like it, right? Like if it, it was a native well, species that were hurting us, we'd be like, Oh, I don't like this. And we want it out of here. So uh, yeah, but I mean, you're not actually making that argument, right? Because a million years is more time than any of us or any of our ancestors have. And well, actually, it, no, it's not. So it's not a million years. I mean, even if you look at like just humans, right? We've like <laughs> spread across the globe and we are non-native to all these different places. We came in 10,000 years ago and just killed a bunch of stuff off. So yeah, we are the number one non-native species. <laughs> Devastation everywhere we've gone. Yeah, um, and these sockeye salmon. My guess is that they're going to be real bad for Lake Clearwater. But let's sure. see what the let's yeah. see what it says. Thanks for indulging my tangent there. But sure. <laughs> after being introduced, this genetically uniform group of sockeyes split into two distinct populations that do not interbreed one inhabiting deep areas of the lake and the other inhabiting shallow areas. Um, okay, so this happened after they were introduced. They were genetically uniform. There were only just, you know, one genome of sockeyes going, introduced. And then they split somehow. One of, half of them went deep, I'm imagining, and half of them stayed shallow. Mm-hmm. And now they are distinct populations that do not interbreed. Okay, that's just fun facts. Uh, None of the devastation that I was expecting. So I don't know. Where are they going with this? Yeah, I mean, part of me is anticipating like, oh, they were genetically uniform, but are they any more? It seems like over time they might change a little bit. Um, Well, and I would think that if they're, yeah, if they're not interbreeding anymore, then, you know, my rudimentary knowledge of genetics would lead me to assume that if they're not interbreeding, then they are probably diverging genetically. Yeah. Okay. But you know, I'm still like, what about it? Where where, where, where is this going? Right? Yeah. 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 Since the two populations now differ genetically, some researchers hypothesize that each has adapted genetically to its distinct habitat. Okay, so it's a fact that they differ genetically, and we have some researchers saying, well, you know, maybe what happened was they adapted genetically to their distinct habitats. Um, That's kind of close to what we were predicting. It's kind of hard to argue against that, too. It's like, well, yeah, they're not interbreeding anymore. It sure seems like they would, if they're genetically distinct and they're not interbreeding, it sure seems like they would be adapting genetically to their habitat. But anyway, what's the question say? Which one of the following 
if true, most strongly supports the researcher's hypothesis. Okay. So, you know, I didn't have like a, a grand objection. I, I wasn't mad about the argument, mm-hmm. which ideally I would be mad about the argument. If I can tell them why their argument is flawed or even why their argument is incomplete, mm-hmm. or even if I can ask them questions. Like, so one of the questions that I would ask would be, well, what other things could have caused them to differ genetically? You know, you're saying that they must have be they must be adapting genetically to their distinct habitats. It could be random, right? <laughs> what yeah, and or like what if it's just radiation from the sun? That's a good weakener actually. Like the maybe what if the deeper ones aren't getting irradiated by the sun. The shallower ones are getting irradiated by the sun. Maybe irradiation by the sun causes genetic anomalies or something. And so that wouldn't actually be the species though, adapting to their environment. That would be species getting blasted by the sun, which is, you know, that's not. Yeah. So it depends on whether, yeah, the sun was resulting in positive mutations or random ones. Right. Yeah. Because if it was positive, then the upper, the shallow ones would be getting used to that and adapted to it. And that would be consistent with their hypothesis. Cool. Okay. So it's a strengthened question. Going into the answers, I'm just thinking, hey, one of these things is going to help them try to prove their case. The, yep. the case they're trying to prove is these populations have adapted genetically to their distinct habitats. Strengthened questions tend to have a real wide range of correct answers. Um, there are answers that like positively move the ball forward. Mm-hmm. You know, there's answers that are like, and I like to use football metaphors here, even though I'm not much of a football fan. Um, you know, there's touchdown passes that are possible. Like there's an answer there. There are conceivable answers here that would just like prove the conclusion of the argument. Sure. Touchdown. Great. We win. Um, there are other answers that aren't touchdowns, but move the ball forward incrementally, mm. like, you know, three yard run up the middle. Yeah. Uh, that still helps the argument. Three yard, three yards is better than zero yards. So anything that moves the ball forward at all could be the correct answer if there was nothing better. There are also defensive. I like to think of it as defensive strengtheners. So other side of the ball, um, there are answers that protect against attacks. Mm-hmm. If if I had an attack that was like, well, what if the sun is irradiating them and that's what's causing the genetic difference? And that's not adapting to the environment. Um, a defensive strengthener would defend the argument against that attack. So it would just basically say the sun is not irradiating the shallow fish in a way that causes them to be genetically different but but not adaptively sure or maybe the sun affects them in the same way has no impact on sure their genes yeah that yeah any right ruling out any alternate cause mm-hmm. because this conclusion is causal right what they're saying is oh it's a genetic adaptation they're they're adapting to the environment that's why they're genetically distinct so any other cause would be a weakener so defending against any other cause would be a strengthener Right. Like creationists would say, oh, no, God did it. (laughs) Right. That's a weakener. God did it. (laughs) Yeah. And a strengthener would be ain't no such thing. 
Like, no, God did not do that. Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right. Let's look at the answers. Sure. Answer A. Neither of the two populations of sockeyes has interbred with the native salmon. Hmm. I would put a pin in that one. I would that, too. I, <laughs> cause that's a thing that we, we didn't talk about that, but that's a possibility, right? Like maybe they're genetically different because they interbred, not because they adapted genetically to their habitat. Yeah. That, that's exactly what I'm thinking is hmm. interbreeding with native salmon. Yep. Is not adapting to the shallow water or the deep water. No. Right? It's just interbreeding with the native salmon. And if one of the populations did interbreed and the other one did not, yep. then that could be the explanation for why these two populations are now genetically different, even though it's not what these researchers are hypothesizing, which is adapting genetically to the environment. You know what? I have I have another really good um I have another really good weakener. I think A is gonna turn out to be the answer, but I, I, I so. just now yeah. I just now thought of another really good weakener, which would be what if um, since 1940 is not enough time to adapt genetically to a distinct habitat? Mm. Mm-hmm. That's a devastating weakener. And that's right? actually that would, a thought I had we never talked about, but it's like, was that enough time? You know, this that would blow up the argument 80 years completely. Yeah. If, yeah. If, if it's a fact that since 1940, that is not enough time for a population of any species to genetically adapt to its distinct habitat, the argument is destroyed. So a defensive strengthener would say, um, <clears throat> it is enough time since yep. 1940. That is enough time. That's defending the argument against that attack, or at least that's a way to think about it. Sure. Okay. Anyway, I think a is de- uh, defending against the alternate cause or sorry, I should say alternative cause. Abigail will be mad at me. Alternative cause of, um, what if it's just that one of the populations is interbreeding with the native salmon? Okay. A corrects for that. So A does strengthen the argument. As long as I can eliminate B, C, D, and E, I'm happy to pick A. Sure. B, when the native salmon in Lake Clearwater were numerous, they comprised two distinct populations that did not interbreed. Don't care. I mean, yeah. I, like my reaction to that is just literally don't care. Native salmon... Whether they did or did not interbreed, what does that have to do with these introduced salmon and why they are now genetically distinct? Well, even uh, then, like, do we know whether these native salmon ended up being genetically different? We, there's so many questions here. It's just not helpful. No, it's it's like it's miles away from being correct. Like, I I'd ha- I don't I, I shouldn't have to sit down and have a half hour conversation with an answer in order to make it right. Like, I, A's and I, right. Yeah. A strengthens the argument because it defends against the idea that one of the populations is interbreeding with the native salmon. B has nothing to do with the introduced salmon. I'm just like, what? Oh God, I'd I'd have to ask way too many questions. So I want to make it clear that in, in LSAT teacher mode, I can spend 20 minutes with you talking about all of the different ways that B is wrong. But in game mode, like if I'm actually doing the test, I would give B like four seconds worth of attention. I, I would just, because all I need to do is get to the point where I go, man, what? Like, I, huh? That That's real. I understand what B says. I don't understand how it's relevant. 
Wrong answers don't have to be relevant. Wrong answers don't even have to make sense. So, you know, if each answer choice is wrong 80% of the time, especially if I already have A, which I feel like definitely strengthens the argument, mm -hmm. then if I read B and I don't like immediately see how it helps the argument, I just would never read it again. It'd just be like, pass. Yeah, and I mean, if you were tempted by B, I found in class that most, in most cases, people have a laundry list. They don't realize it, but they have a laundry list of assumptions that they're making. It's like, okay, why do you think this is correct? Or they're trying to justify why they think it's correct. And they start saying things. They're like, well, if the native salmon were in two groups, then that would suggest X. And you're like, okay, but that's an assumption, which would suggest Y. Okay, now, and then that would suggest Z. So now the conclusion is strengthened. It's like, yeah, do you realize you just like had to make two or three jumps to get Implausible, there? Implausible, unwarranted, superfluous. Yeah. Uh, the instructions on the LSAT tell you on logical reasoning, tell you not to make assumptions that are implausible, unwarranted, superfluous. And I think you have to do all of those things, um, to make B correct. Yeah. Okay. So C most types of salmon that inhabit lakes spend part of the time in shallow water and part in deeper water. What? Who cares? Like, that's about other salmon. The, that's just not the salmon we're looking for. The salmon that we're looking for separated, and one of them is deep and one of them is shallow. I, I don't care that most types of lake salmon do this thing. I care about these particular sockeye that were introduced to Lake Clearwater, and that's it. D, one of the populations of sockeyes is virtually identical genetically to the sockeyes originally introduced in 1940. Well, so <laughs> who cares? I mean, if anything, this of, so, weakens, right? Because they said each has adapted genetically to its distinct habitat. Oh, uh, okay. So, to yes, you're right. From that perspective, D could be a weakener, which would immediately eliminate it. Even if it didn't say each has adapted genetically, the fact that one of the populations is the same and the other population is different still doesn't mean that that other population adapted genetically to its habitat. It could have been because of the sun, or it could have been because of God, or it could have been because of interbreeding with the native salmon. Um, saying one of the populations is still the same just really does nothing to try to prove this conclusion. E, the total number of sockeye salmon in the lake is not as large as the number of native salmon had been many years ago. Really don't care. I mean, <laughs> the, po total the population number of size salmon. hasn't caught up. Okay, so what? <laughs> Don't care. I mean, yeah. like, you know, it, whatever. If anything, E it, seems to suggest so we, that we this can, plan, if anything, E seems to suggest that this plan was a bad idea. Like, you know, if all we're, if all we care about is fishing, <laughs> humans fishing, then E just says, well, it's, yeah, the fishing's not as good as it used to be. 
Yeah, and if you even if you get so back what? to the adapted genetically to its distinct habitat, I would suggest if you're not succeeding, then maybe you haven't adapted genetically to your distinct habitat. Maybe you've just differed genetically, and it's yeah. not a good match for your habitat, which is why you ain't making it. So <laughs> that's been adding unwarranted assumptions to E to make it a weakener. Point is, yeah, there's only one answer here that even strengthens the argument at all. Yeah. Uh, the answer is going to be A. And it is a defensive strengthener. I, I think, for my money, strengthen is the hardest category of LSAT logical reasoning question. Mm -hmm. And that's because of the um, presence uh, of these defensive strengtheners. You know, you, what? Interbreeding with the native salmon? I never thought about that. Well, yeah, but think about it for a sec. Because if they did interbreed with the native salmon, then maybe they are not adapting genetically to their habitat. Um, I have had students, and so that's why A is a defensive strengthener. I'll point out here, I have had students object to A on the grounds that, well, if they're interbreeding with the native salmon, then isn't that an adaptation to their habitat? Because the salmon are part of the habitat. The native salmon are part of the habitat. Is that an adaptation, though? <laughs> it's just a behavior. And we don't know. Yeah, exactly. Like, you'd have to prove to me that 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 right wait so interbreeding with a native species is an adaptation to a habitat really you don't have that in evidence yeah that's not part of the record so you'd have to make that assumption you'd have to add that to the you'd have to add that to the record in order to make a a weakener but I feel like it's pretty straightforwardly a defensive strengthener because there's this bigger are, issue. Yeah. Yeah. If they are interbreeding with the native salmon, that throws a major monkey wrench into this argument. And that's all A is doing. Like if you think about the intent of the test makers, right, they clearly wanted A to be correct because it's a good objection that you could make here is how do you know that they're not just getting it on with the native salmon? And A says they're not doing that. Well, and you know what's happened, I think, forever without fail. <laughs> and I don't say such That's a long time. Grandiose claims. But in yeah. my experience, <laughs> when I get into these like, you know, locked horns position with some student and they're like, Well, look, I don't think it's an unreasonable assumption. I think this answer weakens. Here's my reason why. Here's my assumption. And we've clearly identified their assumption, right? I'm like, fine. What answer did you pick? Yeah. And right. then we, we identify the assumption there and it's like, let's take a vote guys. Which assumption do you think is more unreasonable? And it's <laughs> a very democratic <laughs> process that you're doing there, Ben with a public vote in class. And everybody's like, I want to be on the side of Ben. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be on the side of this jackass. Like who's voting anyway, against me? Well, no, I mean, you're, yeah, you're, well, I'm asking like reasonably, what do you guys think? And it's like, even as I'm right. asking the question, it sounds silly because you compare these assumptions right. and like that one's just not yeah. as reasonable. Well, and we know that this question was vetted via the experimental section, right? That's yeah. the purpose of the experimental section is to make sure that everybody agrees that that's the right answer. Thousands of and, students. <laughs> right. So thousands of students agree that that's a good strengthener and the reason why it's a strengthener is because it's defending the argument against a potential big problem all yeah. right ready cool. to move on to yeah. uh, pearls versus turds sure cool this is the uh segment of the show where we take a bit of received wisdom 
wisdom in scare quotes, that is, uh, from the internet, and we decide whether this is good or bad LSAT advice. This is coming to us from Eric. It says, hey, uh, hello, thinking LSAT. I have a few pieces of advice, and I'd like your opinion on them. But see, that's not how pearls versus turd works. You get one pearl <laughs> or one turd. So this is all going to be wrapped into one, and... You know, the more you say, the more likely it is that it's going to turn into a turd. Anyway, okay. Eric says, you aren't prepared to take the LSAT until you can routinely get the first 10 logical reasoning questions correct with complete confidence in 10 minutes. I'm going to go ahead and update the scoreboard. That's a turd. I, yep. You know, I liked the Sorry, first Eric. part of it. I, I do think that people should be able to get the first 10 questions correct routinely. That doesn't mean always, but you should get them correct and you should be confident in their correctness. You should understand them. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm on board with this. If you're not doing that, I don't see how you can get an LSAT score that's going to get you where you want to go. Um, but then... Yeah, if we redact the in 10 minutes... Yeah then it's fine because not everybody, Eric, is going to reach 175. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like um, your tip isn't in order to reach 99th percentile on the LSAT. You should be able to do this. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure it's even a good tip then. Like I would never, ever say this in class because it encourages people to think about time. Yeah. I don't want you thinking about time. I don't want mm -hmm. you racing through the first 10 and making sure that you're, you know, it's just a, I hate that tip. I'm sorry, Eric. I do want people to get the first 10 right. And I, I was just writing about this the other day. I mean, if you're scoring anything less than 150, your problem is that you miss too many questions in the first 10. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I, I like, I don't show me, I don't believe you. Like, I just don't, I've never seen a student who's like scoring 145 and they get the first 10 right and then run out of time. Yeah. That's like not a thing. Yeah. If you can get the first 10 right, then it's not going to take you the entire 35 minutes. Well, so what is your problem? <laughs> yeah. Your problem is accuracy, not never speed. And uh, yeah, you, you do though. Like if, if you, I mean, half of the audience, Ben, maybe more than half of the audience is struggling to get to 150. And this is a pearl. Focus on the first 10, like get the first 10 right. Yes. Your problems are happening in the first 10 in each section. I promise you. Start by getting the first 10 correct in 35 minutes <laughs> in the time. Right, exactly. No, and I and I mean that literally. Yeah. If it did, in fact, take you 35 minutes and you got all 10 of those right, you would guess on the remaining 15 in the section and get 20% of those right because there's five answer choices. So you'd get one out of five right. So you would get three more of those guesses right. Mm -hmm. In 35 minutes, you can get 13 points on the section by just doing the first 10 and getting them all right and then randomly guessing on the rest of the section. That's a real easy way to Not do Not that I even at. care about the, the score. I just want to know that you understand those first 10 really well because that's your foundation yeah. for understanding the harder ones that come. And you know, you said it's not a thing to get 145 <laughs> and also be getting the first 10 correct. Yeah. But what is a thing is for people to get 10, 15 correct for the section and then raise their hand and say like everyone else before them, my real issue on this test is time. 
<laughs> yeah. It's like, wait a minute. Yeah. Because they did 22 questions and they got 14 of them. Right. Yeah. And they're like, how do I get to number 23, 24, 25? And I'm I like, didn't get to those. I always stop ugh. sucking on the ones that you're actually doing. Because yeah. here's the thing. You're not doing them. Mm-hmm. And you're That's building the... a bad habit. You're getting used to or comfortable with getting yeah. things wrong. Well, yeah. And I, and I want to double down though. You're not doing it. If you didn't get it right, you didn't solve the question. These que- I, I want to start using the word solve more often. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not about like, oh, that could work. I read it. I read all the answer choices. That could work. That's the answer. No, no, no. Solve it. Yeah. Do you know that it's the answer? Yeah. You don't. That's why your accuracy sucks. If your accuracy sucks, then you're just not doing the you're just not doing the questions. When you missed yeah. a question, it's the world's worst waste of time. You like did part of it, but you didn't solve it. You didn't get all the way there to the solution to where you really knew that that's the right answer. These four answers are wrong. Yes, boom, solved. That's the answer. Yeah. And nobody's making it into the 170s if they like ever miss questions in the first 10. I don't care how, I mean, or like very rarely, right? Like one out of 10 tests, you miss number seven or something. It's like, okay, that's fine. But you need to be really running the table at the beginning of each section um, and in the middle of the section (laughs) and at the end of the section, if you're going to score in the 170s, right? You just, you don't get there by making mistakes. So I don't care how much time it takes you. I want you to solve the questions. Yep. Anyway. Eric continues. Uh, this is already a turd. Sorry, Eric. Typically, so again, you aren't prepared to take the LSAT until you can. Mm-hmm. Typically, get the first two logic games correct with complete confidence in 12 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just stop with the time. I'd give you two turds if I could, Eric, but you're only allowed one. So um, just anything, like if you ever talk about time, I don't want to hear it. I, I, it's just not, it's not helpful. And I would never, ever encourage somebody to think these things. Yep. Eric continues. It should go without saying that one shouldn't try to hit arbitrary benchmarks like that during the test. Okay. Which means that you shouldn't ever be doing it on your practice sections either. Eric. Practice like you play. That's how it goes. Yep. But if either of these is hard to accomplish in practice, I would argue that the student needs more drilling. Well, everybody needs more drilling. <laughs> yep. I mean, like, let me tell you advice that I actually do say in class. You're not ready to take the test unless you can get all four logic games in 35 minutes. You have to get the games. I think you're leaving points on the table if you don't perfect. You need to perfect your logic games. And I know that that's very intimidating for novices but games is the most learnable section of the test there are 400 (laughs) games to practice Mm -hmm. or close to 90 something sections with four games per section 90 something sections of games and i've seen hundreds or maybe thousands of students perfect their games over time And when people, you know, I've seen people start with games as their glaring weakness and end up with games as their overwhelming best section and just score perfectly on the games every single time. 
So I am willing to say that, like, yeah, if you're not yet perfect on the games, I think you need to do more work. I, I can't imagine advising somebody, oh, you're still only getting 16 points on the games. Uh, but, you know, yeah, just go take the L, go take the official LSAT. Yeah. Would you ever tell somebody that? No, there's so much there's so much low hanging fruit there. It may not seem like low hanging fruit, but that's probably because you've built it up to be more than it actually is. It's all low hanging fruit. The games are easy. When you get good at the games, the games are easy. They're perfectly solvable. And if you're getting anything less than perfect on the games, you're just not solving them. And it's because you haven't practiced enough. <laughs> like raise your hand if you've done all 90 sections of LSAT logic games and are still not perfect. Yeah. I don't see any hands raised. I win. Um, okay. Eric says, I used to get frustrated if game three or four took me 10 minutes. I currently think that 10 minutes or even 12 is fine for a difficult game and that it is easier to make speed improvements on the easy games. Let me know if you agree, Eric. Okay. There's nothing objectionable there. I mean, yeah, some of the games are going to take you 10 or 12 minutes, but that could also be game one or two, probably not game one, but that could certainly be game two. And actually, when we look at older sections, there are game ones that are the hardest game in the section. Yeah. So I don't know why Eric is being so, yeah, I, I just would never talk about time. I, I agree that you need to be hitting home runs on some of the games. That is obviously correct. Yeah. Like some of the games in the section, but it could be game four. Take you five minutes. Yeah. I've yeah. seen that happen. I, and I bet students out there ha have had that happen to them yep. where five minute warning. Oh shit. And I'm just now looking at the fourth game. Yeah. But then I solve the fourth game perfectly in five minutes. Yep. That happens. So I don't know, I, Eric, the reason why this whole email is a turd, even though it sounds like you have a pretty good handle on things, the reason why I would never say this to students is because it's just going to cause people to have an unreasonable time fetish. Yeah. I, I just, I want you to turn off the clock. I don't want you to be thinking about the clock more. Yeah. Got a Pearl versus Turd candidate? Email help at thinkinglsat.com or find us on social at thinkinglsat. All right, we got one more thing left to do, which is this email from Laniel. Okay. Uh, you ready to read it? Yep. Hi, guys. I've been reading through Miller's book, Law School Confidential, recently, and he goes into a list of questions that a person should ask themselves before embarking on the law school journey. Okay. Since the demon mantra is, and give me some rope here, don't go to law school, but if you must, don't pay for it. I thought these would be worthy questions to discuss on the podcast. I, I agree with that mantra. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, whatever. Like some people are made to be lawyers. I, I like, I'm not saying I, I, I think most people are not made to be lawyers. And so if we interpret Laniel's revised version, you know, what we say at the end of every show is don't pay for law school. And we, we believe that sincerely don't pay for law school because you just don't have to law schools give ridiculous scholarships. And if you're not a scholarship recipient, then you're a scholarship donor and we don't want you to be donating other people's <laughs> tuition. So 
don't pay for law school. But I mean, I guess I do have a presumption that law school is not right for most people. Yeah, I think it's covered here. He says, don't go to law school, but if you must, we're... Right. We really will only want people going who must go. They're compelled to go for yeah. hopefully good yeah. reasons as opposed you to have bad a, ones. Yep. You have a burning desire to practice law. Like yep. you know what that looks like, not just from TV. Mm-hmm. You know what it means to practice law. And you want to do that work. <laughs> you want to do that. If not, that's what not, you want to do, then great. Let's talk. I, not... I want to help people. I, like I don't think that that's I don't think that's enough. Nope. I, I understand that you I understand that you want the outcome, but that doesn't mean that you know what the work entails and want to spend your life actually doing that work. I, I don't care how much of a burning passion you have to save the rainforest or whatever it is. I care whether you know what legal work is like and actually want to do that grind. Yeah. And it is a grind to add to that. If you want to save the rainforest or whatever it is, or, you know, immigrants or whoever needs help, you, you need to figure out the best way to help them. And in a lot of cases, or particularly the rainforest, it's not through law. I'm not saying the law can't be helpful, but there's this weird like presumption that we encounter all the time. It's like, oh, I want to help this community or this group or this environmental problem. And I'm going to do that by going to law, law school. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the problem means, is that, but not the most effective means in a lot of cases. Well, because lawyers are like soldiers. Yeah. You're like solving a problem by adding soldiers. Mm-hmm. No, the, there's going to be other soldiers. There's going to be soldiers on the other side. Yeah, It's like to every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And in legal shit, the more lawyers there are on one side, then it's just like, well, there, there clearly are moneyed interests on the other side who want to, you know, who care about this. Mm-hmm. And I don't, yeah, all you're going to do is just end up, I, I hate to say it, but yeah, I, I tend to agree. Like there's probably other ways that you can make these changes that you're hoping to make. Um, I would, anyway, I think that this whole thing is going to be basically what we're saying. So maybe I'll just shut up. And sure. Okay. So number one, this is the question you should ask yourself if you want to decide whether to go to law school. According to Miller's book, Law School Confidential, which I did read a few years ago and I remember it being like helpful. Cool. One, how comfortable are you with the idea of sp- spending the majority of each day in silence reading difficult material? <laughs> Obviously, the more comfortable you are with that, um, the better. I do think that I read a book on introverts once, and it talked about various professions, and one profession that was mentioned was the legal profession. Uh, it, it attracts introverts. I can't help but think about my good friend Cole Black who I've like been a halftime roommate of her before she's a buddy that I met at mm-hmm. at, at Hastings and she's been on the podcast before yeah <laughs> and she married one of my best pals Mike but like she definitely is at her desk at 7 something in the morning looking at four monitors full of text <laughs> by herself doesn't say shit to anyone 
for 10 hours. Hmm. And you look over her shoulder and it's like, holy shit, what is that stuff? And it's like, I mean, and she's an immigration lawyer, but she has financial records, tax documents, uh, not just like law, although that is also super dense and boring <laughs> regulations. She, yeah. I mean, it's just like mountains of difficult material by herself in silence. Okay. I, I like how that's question one. So if we haven't lost you yet, here's question number two. Yeah. You can give up at any point. Like yeah. if you don't like that, good. There's go outside and play. There's so many other things that you could do. <laughs> Anyway, go ahead. Number two, do you or could you have the stamina to read dry, complicated material for four to six hours a day, every day? <laughs> Seems like a continuation of number one. Yeah, just if you missed the first question, here's the second one. And I think uh, it might be more than four to six hours a day. But anyway. <laughs> I mean, that seems reasonable, I guess. But yeah, it's it's it could be longer. Especially when you start thinking about billable hours. I remember my friends when they left law school and they were starting to work at law firms and it was like, yeah, well I worked eight hours and I ended up billing four because only of only four of those eight were good enough to be built. And it's just like, yikes. So when you're trying to reach a billable goal of 2000 hours a year or whatever it is, I don't know what it is, but um, you have to keep in mind those are actually billable hours, not the hours you spend working. We can analogize to LSAT, by the way. We mm. were just talking about the importance of getting the questions right, especially the questions at the beginning of each section. Sure. I was talking about solving the question and actually getting it right. Like yeah. You don't get paid for shitty work. You don't get paid Lawyers for Lawyers in work. law firms don't get paid for... They only get paid for some... Or the firm only gets paid for billable hours, right? So yeah. billable hours are, okay, you actually did that question and got it right. That's a billable hour. If you half asked that question and got it wrong, well, that's not showing up in your billing for the week or the day or whatever. But it still it. takes away some of your day. So hell yeah, it does. Yeah. Okay. Number All three. right. Number three, are you self-reliant or do you depend on others for constant encouragement, evaluation, and or affirmation? <laughs> so the uh, clear answer here is hopefully you are self-reliant because yeah, you're working really as an individual, even within a law firm, you are, you are evaluated as a, as an individual player. It's kind of an interesting setup. Um, number four, can you seize the main points of an assignment and move on? Or do you typically get hopeless, hope, hopelessly bogged down in detail? Okay. Five, are you disciplined enough to get up and attend classes every day? I should, yeah. I mean, I'm not. I'm not. I yeah. had terrible undergraduate grades. When I see somebody who has terrible undergraduate grades, my first thought is not a lawyer. Nope. Like, you're not going to like this. You're going to hate this. You, yep. It, law school is no fucking joke. Yeah. Can I read a text message that I got yesterday from sure. one of our former students? Yeah. One of our former students says, I just want to come on the podcast and tell everyone to fucking listen when you say don't go to law school unless you literally can't picture yourself doing anything else. This is a 1L, by the way. Mm. I'm not re regretting my decision, but this shit is not a joke. I have always enjoyed working a lot. I picked up a second job for fun. I spent the last two years thinking a 40-hour work week was like having a break because I worked so much more. I'm addicted to the stress, but just damn, 
Nothing could have prepared me for this. It's so easy to be naive and think, well, yeah, I was a good student and I have no problem dedicating endless hours to studying and learning, but it's so much more than that. And she goes on to talk about sleeping three hours a night and and that's a 1L on a scholarship at an easy law school. Yeah. Or I mean, it's, there is no such thing as an easy law school, but she is, she's a scholarship kid and she's had nothing but great grades her whole life. And she knew what she, she's worked in a law firm, by the way, for a long time. Mm. So she totally, as much as you possibly could, she knew what she was getting into. Yeah. Um, <laughs> contrast that with me who does not have the discipline to get up and attend classes every day. I had a 2.5 undergraduate GPA. Yeah. Why the fuck did I think I was going to be successful in law school or successful as a lawyer? Yeah. Like unless something has significantly changed since your bad undergraduate career, I have to bet against you being successful in law school. No, law school is taking the <laughs> worst parts of undergrad and doubling it, tripling it. It's like, enjoy. Far, far more work. Yep. Far higher stakes. No homework that you get points for. It's all just exams. So you have to relentlessly prepare for these yes. exams. Yes. And far more competitive, to... uh, you know, fellow students. And, well, yeah. And that's the, and it's only the top 10% of all the people that you went to undergrad with. <laughs> like, Take the worst 90% of the competition, get rid of them. Mm -hmm. It's only the top 10% of the competitors. Yep. yep. And that's what law school is. So, okay, let's keep going through this list. Hopefully this is talking people out of law school. Okay. Six, are you comfortable speaking out in class and arguing in front of others? Have you been able to will yourself through difficult periods of your life? <laughs> Eight, when you don't understand something, are you capable of teaching yourself? Nine, do you enjoy research? Do you enjoy, enjoy doing research, searching through books in a library or online databases for pieces to a puzzle or, quote, the answer to a problem? Ten, do you like to write critically and analytically? Eleven, is your personality more proactive than reactive? Twelve. When you've given your best effort, will you be able to sleep at night knowing that you've done the best you could have? Or are you more likely to beat yourself up wondering if there was more you could have done? Hmm. I had I struggled with that too because I'm not sure with what the, the right answer, answer is supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I think about Cole, you know, I well, I guess when you've given your best effort, will you be able to sleep at night? I I don't know that there is such a thing. I could see this going effort. both ways. Like attorneys are the kind of people who give their best effort and then talk about how, Oh, well they could have looked at those cases a little more closely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're if, to be an attorney who just doesn't lose because the good ones tend to not <laughs> like the good ones always win. And that's because they always prepare. And you're always having, yeah, you're aware of your weaknesses in your argument and your process. They don't, they, they never stop beating themselves up. Hmm. But anyway, that one's confusing to me. Okay. 13. Are you ready to make the law your life for the next three years by subverting, subverting most of your hobbies, 
other interests, and your social life to serious academic dedication. Uh, three years? <laughs> the rest of your life. <laughs> 30 years. 30 years, yeah. I would I would amend that to say, do you want work to be the primary focus of your life? Yes, that is what lawyers do. Do, do you want work to be the primary focus of the rest of your life? I'm not saying you won't go on vacation, but you will like fly to Tokyo for four days and come back because work and needs you. you will bring your <laughs> and you bring your laptop work with, with you on you, the plane and you will yeah you will be working as you travel yeah so you know it's not just th- oh three anybody can do three years it's not three years it's thirty years yeah. It's the rest of your life. Do you are you looking for a thing that is going to consume your life? And you get one of them. This is a thing that is going to consume the majority of your life. Anyway, finish up uh, Laniel's email. Sure. Uh, and for anyone who felt blindsided by these expectations, we might have saved them from a world of hurt. Thank you for the consideration. Sincerely, Laniel. Hey, I would say we. Um, if if you haven't gotten merch already, Laniel, this was a, a good thing to send in. Lots of good questions. Um, feel free. Not, to... not only that, but Laniel is like the perpetual favorite of all of our teachers in LSAT Demon. So yeah, um, yeah, Laniel, if you're hearing this, uh, or we'll see you in class maybe. Um, but if you're hearing this, you can email uh, help at lsatdemon.com, and um, yeah, we'll give you whatever piece of merch you want because that was super helpful that was a pearl you can find that merch by the way at lsat.link forward slash merch awesome lsat.link forward slash merch if you want to buy some uh, demon stuff yeah but we'll give it to you for free lineal (laughs) you deserve it just earned a free whatever um get on an upcoming show and be lsat famous like lineal by emailing help at thinking lsat.com I, Nathan Fox, uh, do the agendas for the show, and um, I read every email that comes to help at thinkinglsat.com. So please uh, keep them coming. If you have questions about LSAT Demon, though, mm-hmm. please email our best in the world uh, customer service team, help uh, at lsatdemon.com, and they will sort you out right away. Check out our other podcast, LSAT Demon Daily, that comes out five days a week wherever you get your podcasts. That was episode 325 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.